Hey everyone, happy Friday. I'm going to start a little bit early uh, today because, you know, a lot of people I'm sure are celebrating their weekend, spending time with family, uh, you know, out at the bar, club, whatever they do. And so, you know, they're not going to be listening to this podcast live, but I'm sure they'll listen to it um, when it's recorded. You know, it's crazy how many people we've had listening to these podcasts lately. Um, some of the guests that we've had on, um, if you get a chance, I would go back and listen to some of those old podcasts, um, you know, especially from uh, Paul from the Serious Report. You know, we, we had 1,400 downloads on that uh, podcast. It was truly incredible where he talks about the um, the effect this Russian-Ukraine war is going to have on global markets, particularly the de-dollarization. Um, we had a we had one of my good friends, Thomas Jones, who was an expat living in Ukraine when um, uh, when they invaded. And so he, he goes through and details his like harrowing escape. I mean, it was crazy. There was bombs and missiles going off while him and his family are trying to escape into Poland. Um, and he's actually going to be going back into Ukraine to to help fight. So um, hearing those kind of tales and having that you know, those kind of people on this podcast has just been, um, an amazing experience. So, um, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to, to some of those podcasts, but I wanted to come on and talk about, um, the week in markets. It was, you know, it was kind of a subdued week in terms of the actual market movements, but under the surface, there's actually a lot going on and a lot of, a lot of stuff that people may not realize. Um, you know, yesterday, actually the last two days, um, I was having, you know, some work done on my house and it was just kind of been a stressful time. I've, I've been involved in this, uh, uh, one of these land flip investments and it finally closed. Uh, we did really well on it. The returns were astronomical. Uh, I'll say that, uh, the land market is crazy, but, um, anyway, the land market, uh, you know, it is something we'll discuss at a different time, but this land flip is a ranch that I purchased and. I flipped it and went through and, and I did really well on it. Um, so I wanted to kind of take some time to relax and celebrate. And so I did what I, what I do when I want to relax and celebrate. And I went up to the, to the mountains. Um, you know, I live here in Santa Fe, New Mexico and, uh, you know, the mountains are just right in my backyard basically. And, you know, going up there is just kind of my, my escape from, from reality. And it's crazy how, you know, my stress level is just so high doing everything that I do, trading, doing this newsletter, doing this podcast, um, you know, just every, uh, land investments, retail sales, uh, rentals, all that stuff, everything that I do, all my businesses and stuff, you know, the stress level I have is pretty high. But as soon as I pull up, you know, into that first little section of the National Forest, uh, you know, right outside Pecos, New Mexico, I mean, I could feel my stress levels just drop. And uh, it feels like a weight's being lifted off of me. And so, you know, my phone loses service and I get to go out and just, you know, I put some videos and pictures on my Twitter if you want to see what it looked like. But basically just going out there and driving around and getting out, doing some hikes, putting the binoculars on, looking for elk. I mean, you know, getting the sunshine and just being outside and breathing the fresh air. It's just nothing, nothing better. And so that's what I've been doing for the last two days. Um, today I came back and I was very busy. I'm, I'm getting ready to, uh, to really start hard trading, um, starting on Monday and I'll discuss more a little bit about my new project coming up at the end of this podcast. But 
I think we're really in a time where uh, traders are going to be the ones making a lot of money. You know, there's there's times in the market where, you know, the buy and hold crowd, the index fund crowd, they just, you know, they make out because either the market's just, uh, you know, slow movement up and to the right, not very volatile. You know, VIX is sitting at 12, 13 during those times. And, you know, it seems like it goes on forever where the market just slowly moves up. And those are the times where the index funds do really well. The, um, you know, the buy and hold crowd does really well. But I think we're about to enter a much more volatile time here over the next couple of weeks. And I'm doing everything I can to prepare myself to be able to trade uh, those volatile moves and be able to to capitalize on that volatility. And so um, I think the gains from traders uh, are going to just massively, massively um, outperform the gains from anyone just sitting in an index fund or or doing kind of any kind of passive investing in, in the indices. And so I hope you all are ready for that. Um, I think that's really coming. I think that's going to be the theme probably for the next six to 12 months. Um, and I have a bearish uh, a bearish view of equities and and I'll kind of get into that and my theory on that, but let's go ahead and I kind of want to take a look at the markets here and just go over how they did this week, especially today. Cause today, it was an interesting day. It, um, it kind of bounced people around a lot. I think, I think there was a lot of, um, I don't want to say manipulation, but there was a lot of the big players don't, didn't want to pay out their options. There was uh, options expiring today. It's Friday. Um, and I think they want to just keep the market, flat as they could. Um, there was a point around noon where it looked like it was going to roll over and, and, you know, I'm sure people bought puts on that. And there was a time where it looked like it was going to rocket and I'm sure people bought calls on that and both, both sides probably ended up not making any money here. And so it was just one of those kind of flat days, but the S and P ended up, uh, up in the green about 0.34%, not, not much Dow Jones 0.4%. Uh, NASDAQ 0.29%. Surprisingly, the Russell, the Russell 2000, um, which is made up of small caps, uh, most of them in domestic, uh, which I think is the weakest index just based on the fact that over 40% of Russell 2000 companies don't make any money. They're not, pro they're not profitable uh, at all. And the debt loads of some of these companies are just atrocious. I mean, they're just debt bombs. And so when you have a rising interest rate environment, uh, the Russell 2000, the small caps, and historically there's precedent for it. Um, once the yield curve inverts, there's you know plenty of historical studies that shows once the yield curve inverts, small caps tend to outperform. Um, and so it's surprising here to see the Russell was up 1% today. Um, I don't know if that, I think to me that looks like sort of an anomaly, but um, you know, we'll look at what happened during the week with the Russell. Uh, the VIX ended up below 20, which is surprising. It was at 19.6, uh, down four and a half percent. At one point, it looked like the VIX was about to about to go on a tear, um, and I think a lot of people were watching that and getting ready to buy puts. But it really kind of stopped and just kind of slowly faded at the end of the day. So I, I wouldn't take too much from uh from the action today the market action i would really you need to take, kind of take a step back look at the macro policy look at longer term views and um you know what it shows is that this 
week markets or markets this quarter um, ending in I think it was March 23rd. Uh, it was the first negative quarter since two, uh, for stocks since 2020. So since basically since the uh, COVID, you know, what I call a flash crash. People call it a bear market, but it was not a bear market. It was a quick 30% dip that immediately reversed within weeks. That is not a bear market in my view. I mean, technically it meets the definition because the definition is negative 20%. But in my view, a bear market is a sustained uh, move lower lasting you know, more than a few weeks, lasting a few months to a year. And so that's, uh, you know, the COVID, I, I don't count COVID as a bear market. I, I call that a flash crash. So this was the first negative quarter since then. And so that's pretty telling, you know, um, uh, the last two years have probably been the most insane, um, crazy market that I've seen. And I've been following markets probably for 15 years. Um, you know, just this constant, uh, fed liquidity, constant buy the dip mentality, all the retail traders piling in the meme stocks, you know, all that stuff that everyone knows about. Um, just watching that kind of play out was just, unbelievable. And now I'm seeing, you know, uh, a lot of bearish signs. And, and the first quarter of 2022 is, uh, it ended up negative. And so that's, that's, that's big, you know, you need to watch that. And you gotta, you gotta, you gotta see what does that mean? And if you take a look back, you open a chart of the spy, you know, the S&P 500 index, and you look at a chart, you know, every bear market starts with you know, negative first quarter. I mean, there's flash crashes like COVID, 1987, et cetera. But most of these long sustained bear markets, if you really look at the charts, it looks, to, you know, it looks almost like it starts to fall a little bit, it comes back, it falls more, and then it kind of picks up steam as it goes down. And so having a negative first quarter is, uh, to me, it's a bearish sign. It's not a uh, room to just go and buy the dip. So let's look here at bonds because... Bonds are, are, are big, right? Everyone's talking about the inverted yield curve here. Uh, the 10-year was at 2.39%, so basically at 2.4, which was, it was green today. Um, uh, the Bund and the Japanese 10-year, Japanese 10-year at 0.22%. It always cracks me up that there is even a market for someone wanting to buy a 10-year bond yielding 0.2% when inflation is, you know, 8 to 10%. Um, oil, oil was at 99, ended 99, down 0.85. This is a, around $100 a barrel is, you know, is kind of the stable range for it at this point. Um, you know, we went up to 125 during the height of the Russian crisis, but it kind of stabilized around 100. And I think, you know, $100 oil to 100 to 130 is kind of the range that we'll be in. Maybe we dip down to 85, but I think we're going to be right around 100, which means elevated gas prices, uh, elevated energy prices, um, you know, all those things and all the things that come with that. So, uh, gold, gold, in 1928, it was down uh, 1.3% today. Uh, crypto, crypto, crypto has been on a tear. I mean, it's been, it's been hovering around 39%, 40% for a long time. Um, it was up another 2% today up to 46,000, uh, Ethereum about 3,500 and, uh, you know, the other cryptos I don't even really pay attention to. I just pay attention to Bitcoin and Ethereum. So, um, so yeah, I mean, um, let's talk about the markets and where I think the markets are going. If you look at the chart of the S&P 500, which I'm pulling up here, 
if you look at a one year you look at a one year chart the s and p five hundred it looks like there is a head and shoulders forming on the on the s and p five hundred here and what is the head and shoulders for those who don't know it is a technical analysis term for a market that uh, uh, rises to a certain level on the left what they call the left shoulder goes down breaches that level on the way up which they call the head then hits the uh, uh, um, goes down a little bit stops and then goes up again which they call the right shoulder right that's a head and shoulders and I'm not a big technical analysis guy I'm more of a macroeconomic guy um, but there is some credibility to uh, technical analysis. And the reason for that is, um, one, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If people believe that a head and shoulders is bearish, when they see a head and shoulders on the chart, it'll lead them to be more bearish and sell. Two, um, it's this head and shoulders really does predate a lot of the big um, corrections in either stocks or the equity indexes. And so there is some validation to it. I mean, if I just saw kind of a head and shoulders pattern on its own, I wouldn't immediately say that's bearish. But combined with all the other things that we're seeing, the Fed running off its balance sheet, uh, the Fed attempting to raise rates into an extremely high inflationary environment, the fact that we've had stocks run up so far and so fast, the end of the liquidity bazooka. I mean, all that stuff is uh, is bearish in itself. And then when you look at a chart of the S&P 500 or the Russell 2000 and you see this uh, head and shoulders forming, you know, it really just gives you uh, more, you know, more more things to to kind of put onto the onto the side of the equation of of bearish. And so I wanted to talk about the the this correction here. A lot of people call it a wave three correction or a head and shoulder setup. Um, and I think if you, if you take a look at the one year chart on either the Russell 2000, the S and P 500 or the NASDAQ, all of these charts look very bearish to me. Um, they have head and shoulders. They have, they have tops that are not being breached. Um, you know, and all this is going into an environment where, uh, it's just macroeconomically bearish. I mean, there's, there's global conflict, you know, the Fed, all kinds of signs are pointing towards towards a bear market is coming. And, and I think the charts are agreeing with me on that. And so it was funny today because um, I saw a tweet that said, you know, the Fed is finally reducing its balance sheet. So if anyone doesn't know, the Federal Reserve has been going and buying uh, bonds basically with money that they create. I mean, it's a little more complicated than this, but generally the idea is they go and buy bonds with money they create out of thin air, and they put those on their balance sheet in order to keep interest rates low. When they want to uh, increase the interest rate, which is what they want to do now to try and curb inflation, what they do is they run off the balance sheet, meaning they sell uh, these bonds, which increases the amount of bonds out there on the market and increases interest rates. And so the Fed, I, you know, my personal opinion is the Fed never should be allowed to have they have $8.9 trillion worth of bonds on their uh, balance sheet. How that is allowed by Congress is, is a discussion for another podcast. But, you know, if we're looking just at the markets here, the Fed has $8.9 trillion. Uh, and that, that includes, you know, government treasuries. That includes mortgage-backed securities um, and other kind of bonds and, and U.S. dollars. They have a bunch of cash on there as well. But why does the Fed have 
$8.9 trillion uh, worth of bonds on their balance sheet. Uh, and where are they getting the money from? They're just printing it and putting it on their balance sheet. So it's, it's very bizarre. But looking at it from a market perspective, they're finally reducing their balance sheet. So their balance sheet is at $8.9 trillion and they've reduced it uh, from the March 23rd to the March 31st report by $25 billion. So, I mean, that's really a drop in the bucket for them. That amount really is not going to have a large effect. But what it's but what it's showing is for the first time the Fed is actually keeping its word and reducing the amount of money on this balance sheet, which will increase interest rates, which will bring down equity prices. And so, will they keep going or not? Um, I think they have to. Um, I think inflation is kind of the uh, political uh, knife right now that's in the chest of a lot of politicians here. Uh, a lot of people are upset about inflation. I mean, it's the number one um, complaint that a lot of these voters have on, on all these polls that I'm seeing. People are complaining constantly about gas prices. It's, you know, it's all over the news, how high gas prices are, how high food prices are, et cetera. And so this, this is something, this is a, now it's not just a, uh, you know, something that affects markets. This is affecting uh, political careers and the people that are in power right now. So I think they're going to have to go after inflation. And I think the calculus to them or to the Federal Reserve is, and to the politicians that are in power is basically, you know, if the market has to take a hit, that's fine. As long as we can bring prices down, as long as the market doesn't go down too much, um, we can live with a little bit of a market hit because, you know, uh, there's not that many, you know, the wealthy do have an outsized influence in in politics by donating money and things like that. But the average voter, you know, really may not feel a slight decrease in the stock market, but the average voter, especially on the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum, will feel uh, an inflation, the inflationary bite, which they are already feeling. And, and it's, it's worrying um, the Democrats who are in power now for the midterms. And so I think they're, they have their, they, they're, they're, in front of the Fed and they're telling them, hey, you need to you need to take care of interest rates. So it's it's interesting that they're finally winding down the balance sheet. Um, will they keep going? I think so. Um, they'll stop when there's too much pain. If the market goes down too much, they're going to stop, um, of course. But I think for now, they're going to keep going because they have to battle inflation. They just really don't have um, they just really don't have a choice at this point. So I think if they have to choose, um, they're going to take a small market drawdown. Uh, versus in order to fight inflation. I think if the markets start really collapsing, then they're going to step in and stop because they can't take that. But I think a small, you know, 20 to 30% correction, I think the Fed will tolerate that. And I think they'll still continue with their uh, balance sheet reduction and interest rates increases um, with a 20 to 30% correction. More than that is when it, you know, when, when it gets dicey. So I just found that very interesting. I mean, Seeing seeing the Fed have eight point nine trillion dollars of bonds on their balance sheet and and you know finally uh, selling off twenty five billion like I said it's a drop in the bucket but but it's a start and that will have uh, you know an effect on markets if they keep going so um, another funny article that I found which kind of highlights that there's still extreme excess in this market and it's kind of a funny you know a funny little news article it was on CNBC but excuse me. I don't know if any of you remember this, 
But during the height of the COVID craziness, there was this stock, this company called Hometown International. And it was a stock that was valued at $100 million at a market cap of $100 million. And all it owned was one singular deli in New Jersey. And this company uh, was in, in Paulsboro, New Jersey. And basically it just kind of, it was like the poster boy for market excess, a hundred million dollar uh, New Jersey deli. I mean, it's just, you know, why is a, is a random deli in New Jersey worth a hundred million dollars? It's not, you know, it's really not, but the market was giving it that because everyone was just buying anything they could, you know, hand over fist. So I saw an article today is that hometown international, the owner of the so-called $100 million New Jersey deli has agreed to merge with bioplastics company uh, Makemer. The company resulting from the merger will not operate the store, but a worker there said the eatery will remain open after the merger. It's not clear how the 60 or so shareholders in Hometown International will make out in the deal. It's funny that there's 60 people that own this deli with a market cap of $100 million. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, let's see here. There's interesting. Okay. Yes, David Einhorn in a client letter noted the bizarre disparity between the deli's extremely modest sales, which were $25,000 for all of 2021, and hometown's sky-high stock market valuation. Einhorn clipped, the, the pastrami must be amazing. And so this was in April 2021, and this, is, again, was the height of the COVID excess, just money and liquidity coming in from every direction, the fiscal side, the monetary side, and they were able to push this this seemingly, you know, uh, a company making $25,000 to be with a valuation of, of, uh, a hundred million, which is absolutely insane. So it's, 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 uh, it's just really funny. Now there's still excess. I mean, they're, they're merging with a, a, uh, plastics company that, you know, a bioplastics firm, I guess they're going to try and make, you know, I don't know, some sort of a sandwich wrap that they can wrap, you know, bioplastic, they can wrap that'll disintegrate, I have no idea. This is just this is just another example that there's still extreme excess with the market. There's uh, two worthless companies merging together and creating a mega worthless company, and um, it's just very funny and hilarious. And it also signifies that there's still a lot of excess in this market. That there's a lot of room left for this bubble to deflate, and I think um, I think it's going to. And I think it's going to pretty soon here. So. Um, you know, a theme that I've talked about a lot uh, has been the Russia-Ukraine war. You know, for about four to five months before Russia actually invaded, I was sounding the alarm through my newsletter, through Twitter, on this podcast. And I was basically saying, look, Russia's about to invade Ukraine. You know, I spent eight years in the military. I'm a West Point graduate. I saw what was going on and I was, you know, I was beating the drums and saying, hey, this is a serious situation. You know, you need, you know, telling U.S. politicians, you need to de-escalate this as soon as you can because Russia is about to invade Ukraine. Um, I got called all kinds of names, a warmonger, an idiot, etc. And then what happened? Russia ended up invading Ukraine and everyone said, oh, my God, we never thought this would happen. How could this happen? We were shocked. Well, you know, it was very obvious it was going to happen, especially when Russia started moving in, um, you know, logistical supplies and medical supplies that wouldn't be used for training, that would only be used for some sort of invasion. Um, and, you know, the, the psychology of Putin and how, he, and how he was reacting to things and everything. So it's something that I've talked about uh, a lot. I've done a lot of deep dive analysis on 
podcasts and newsletters about the Russia and Ukraine situation, but I'm trying to focus today's podcast on markets. And so I saw an article I thought was very interesting um, talking about this. And basically it said that the Russia and uh, Ukraine war is going to cause an extreme famine. And so here, I want to pull up the exact article here to make sure. Let's see. Make sure everyone has it here. Okay. Yeah. Basically, it's saying that the um, uh, the White House is worried that, that the Russia-Ukraine situation is going to cause an extreme famine. And I've been saying this for, you know, a long time. This is one of my biggest worries was that, you know, Russia and Ukraine, that area is considered the breadbasket of Europe. Um, a lot of grain, a lot of wheat, a lot of corn um, come from that area of Russia. And with the sanctions on uh, and Ukraine, with the sanctions on Russia, with the uh, obviously the war going on in Ukraine, it's been very difficult for farmers to um, actually be able to get their grain exports out, actually be able to go and farm, lay down seeds. Um, and, you know, now spring, this is the time where farmers are supposed to be planting. Uh, they're supposed to be out in the fields planting and getting ready for the harvest season, which is in fall. And so obviously a lot of the farmers are either fighting, either fled the country, or it's just not safe for people to be out, you know, Ukrainian citizens to be out on their tractors and out on their farms trying to uh, plant seeds for these, you know, food that we eat. And so this is a serious, serious hit um, to the food supply around the world. It's, it's predominantly going to affect, um, you know, underdeveloped nations, things like that. Um, but we will feel it here in the U.S. due to the, due to the rising food prices. I know China is already starting to hoard food. Um, China has already been seeing this as a problem. They're, they're putting um, strict penalties on anyone exporting certain foods. And so China, I think, sees the writing on the wall and knows that, um, you know, knows that this is going to be a big problem, especially because Russia and Ukraine, you know, they, they grow the wheat, but they also provide up to 80% of the world's fertilizer. So without fertilizer, U.S. US companies can't farm, U.S. farmers can't farm, Brazilian farmers can't farm. You know, the world really almost shuts down uh, the farming world, the agricultural world without any kind of fertilizer, because that's one of the staples um, that are used, you know, to grow crops and grow them at the rate that the world consumes them. And so this is this, the White House is, is, is not, you know, being uh, alarmist here by saying this may cause a worldwide food shortage. They are, they are extremely accurate. And again, when you're talking about markets, you know, you have to think to yourself, is a worldwide food famine, a food shortage, bullish for equity markets? I mean, is that bullish for global growth? It, obviously, no. And so that's just another, uh, uh, you know, uh, reason to be bearish here. I mean, if, if you, that'd be the only, you know, if that was the only thing that would still make me bearish. I mean, when people are hungry is when, you know, uh, a crisis breaks out, civil unrest breaks out, um, you know, those kind of things. And so, you know, this is going to be a serious, serious situation when the world runs out of food. Uh, you know, the earnings for companies are going to go down a lot if a bunch of countries are uh, having severe civil unrest because they can't get bread. You know, that's that's a serious, serious situation um, that I don't think a lot of people understand how bad that's going to be. Um, 
And so, you know, all these talking about Russia and Ukraine and, and the sanctions that have been uh, placed on them. Interesting article basically said that uh, this guy, Dan Jurgen, he he's kind of the foremost expert in oil and energy policy. And he, um, you know, he wrote all kinds of books uh, about oil and, and different countries and the history of how how oil has shaped geopolitics and things like that. Um, was an article I found interesting was he said that Asia will become the default market for Russian oil. And so basically, you know, Europe, you know, basically is shooting themselves in the foot by not taking as much Russian oil and gas as they should. Um, a lot of countries have chosen not to do business with Russia in terms of uh, trading oil and things like that. Um, but Asia, particularly China, says, hey, you want to end India. Hey, you want to send us your oil? Send, you know, you can't send it anywhere else. Send it at a discount price and we'll take it. And so I think uh, what that's going to do over the long haul is increase the cooperation between Russia and Asia, especially Russia and China. And so you're going to see a lot more uh, uh, trading going on between Russia and China in that sphere of influence as opposed to Russia and the U.S., or Russia and Europe, which is which is a big geopolitical change because normally uh, Russia and Europe were the biggest trading partners. I mean, it makes sense, you know, they're on the same continent, um, but that's going to be a big change, and I think that's going to um, kind of keep the lid on how much sanctions will hurt Russia. I mean, you know, when these sanctions first came out, everyone was like basically, you know, writing Russia off, saying that you know the ruble is going to be worthless saying that, you know, all these companies are pulling out of Russia and things like this. And, you know, it turns out uh, the ruble isn't now back to actually where it was um, before the invasion. So that, you know, the, the currency is stabilized. You know, countries like McDonald's said they were going to leave Russia permanently and never come back. Well, I saw an article saying that almost all the McDonald's franchises in Russia are still uh, are still operating. And so um, it hasn't had really the effect that I think um, people thought it would have, especially when they're able to sell their their oil to China. And I think that I think Dan Jurgen's right, and I think that that's that will be the natural market, and they'll be able to sell it there um, at a discount. And so, you know, and and this is pushing Russia and China closer together. Um, an article came out and basically said. It said that uh, China calls the U.S. the leading instigator of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. You know, this this isn't something a country that uh, wants to get away from Russia would say. This is something that a country that, you know, wants to take shots at the U.S. and wants to, you know, further increase their relationship with Russia. Um, the article says China called the U.S. the leading instigator of the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, the Chinese foreign ministry spokesperson said, as the culprit and leading instigator of the Ukraine crisis, the U.S. has led NATO in pursuing five rounds of eastward expansions in the next two decades or so since 1999. So essentially here they're parroting, you know, the Russian talking point that uh, Russia had to invade Ukraine because they were, uh, you know, because NATO was trying to push into Ukraine and become a NATO member and Russia would not have. A NATO member on their border. And so, you know, this whole, I've seen this whole push between the, the United, uh, European Union, the U.S., basically to get China to distance themselves from Russia, to get China to go against Russia, and, and it's not working. Um, to me, it seems like they're getting pushed closer together, which is a really scary thing because 
Uh, you know, they're both nuclear superpowers and China right now, um, you know, in terms of the future is really what I would say is the U.S.'s number one enemy, uh, economic and, and militarily. You know, they're really the only power that can compete with the U.S. And now you have Russia and China in an alliance. And, um, you know, that, that's not good for, for the world, uh, I think, um, depending on your perspective. So I thought that was an interesting article. I just wanted to point that out. Um, and, yeah, so basically uh, that's pretty much it for the markets. I mean, again, I think uh, I have a bearish outlook. Um, I think that, uh, you know, all the signs point that the market will be lower than it is today over the next six to 12 months. Um, trade that how you see fit. Um, I don't think the Fed is going to back off their their uh, their policies. And so um, I've had a lot of people on Twitter um, reach out to me, people in the newsletter reach out to me and say, hey, you know, we want to see how you trade, right? Because we're, we're, we're getting, let, you know, podcasts from you, we're getting newsletters from you basically showing, you know, how you traded, um, you know, the, the, the viewpoint from how you traded, your theories of how you're trading, but we want to see the actual trades. What options are you buying? When are you buying them? When are you selling? You know, what's your rationale and things like that. So what I did was today I went and started a, uh, uh, private Twitter account, which, um, will allow members. If you subscribe, um, you can get access to this private Twitter account and you can see all my trades in real time, uh, with screenshots, you know, I'm trading with not, a lot of these people trade with fake money. They trade with paper accounts and pretend like, you know, they're, they're these epic traders, but I trade with real money and, uh, I'll be, I'll be trading live on that, on that Twitter account, you know, starting Monday. And so if that's something that interests you, you can go to my, uh, my newsletter, the warrenletter.substack.com. Uh, there's, there's an article about it and it shows how you can sign up. Uh, once you do that, you get the name of my private Twitter and you get to join and get to watch kind of how I trade, um, in real time. You know, you'll see exactly which options I'm buying, which expirations, um, if I'm buying puts, if I'm buying calls, if I'm buying puts and calls on indices or individual stocks. I mean, most of my trading is done on indices because I'm, I'm a macroeconomic guy. I don't, you know, I get bored looking into the, you know, the, the minutia of, of specific companies and their balance sheets and things like that. I trade more on uh, geopolitics. I trade more on market psychology, um, the Federal Reserve, uh, fiscal policy, monetary policy, et cetera. So if you're interested in trading options on indices and or watching someone trade options on indices, go ahead and go to my newsletter and you can sign up and you can see exactly, exactly how I trade. So again, I appreciate you all for being on here. Um, I know it's a Friday. It's, uh, you know, you, there's probably other things you can be doing, but the fact that you're here listening to me um, talk about markets is, uh, you know, makes me feel really good, really blessed. And those of you who are listening after this has been recorded, um, I hope you appreciate the podcast and go ahead and go to my newsletter, the warrenletter.substack.com. And, uh, you can find, uh, all my articles and, and kind of, uh, my theories of trading and things like that. All right, everyone have a great weekend. Um, you know, try not to think about the markets too much and get ready for Monday. And if you want to see how I trade, go to the, the, my newsletter and sign up. All right. Have a great one. Bye everyone. Have a great weekend.